Section 6 of The Fairchild Family. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Seek Wisdom, www.morethantheancients.com. The Fairchild Family by Mary Martha Sherwood. Story of Ambition or The Wish to Be Great. Twice every year, Sir Charles and Lady Noble used to invite Mr. and Mrs. Fairchild and their children to spend a day with them at their house. Mr. and Mrs. Fairchild did not much like to go, because Sir Charles and his lady were very proud, and their children were not brought up in the fear of God. Yet, as the visit only happened twice a year, Mr. Fairchild thought it better to go than to have a quarrel with his neighbor. Mrs. Fairchild always had two plain muslin frocks with white mittens and neat black shoes for Lucy and Emily to wear when they went to see Lady Noble. As Mr. Fairchild's house was as much as two miles distance from Sir Charles Noble's, Sir Charles always used to send his carriage for them and to bring them back again at night. One morning, just at breakfast time, Mr. Fairchild came into the parlor saying to Mrs. Fairchild, Here, my dear, is a note from Sir Charles Noble inviting us to spend the day tomorrow in the children. Well, my dear, said Mrs. Fairchild, as Sir Charles Nobles has been so kind as to ask us, we must not offend him by refusing to go. The next morning Mr. Fairchild desired his wife and children to be ready at twelve o'clock, which was the time fixed for the coach to be at Mr. Fairchild's door. Accordingly, soon after eleven, Mrs. Fairchild dressed Lucy and Emily, and made them sit quietly down till the carriage came. As Lucy and Emily sat in the corner of the room, Lucy looked at Emily and said, Sister, how pretty you look! and how nice you look lucy said emily these frocks are very pretty and make us look very well my dear little girl said mrs fairchild who overheard what they said to each other do not be conceited because you've got your best frocks on you now think well of yourselves because you fancy you are well dressed by and by when you get to lady noble's you will find miss augusta much finer dressed than yourselves then you will be out of humour with yourselves for as little reason as you now are pleased at this moment henry came in his sunday coat to tell his mother that sir charles noble's carriage was come Mrs. Fairchild was quite ready, and Lucy and Emily were in such a hurry that Emily had nearly tumbled downstairs over her sister, and Lucy was upon the point of slipping down on the step of the hall door. However, they all got into the coach without any accident, and the coachman drove away, and that so rapidly that they soon came in sight of Sir Charles Noble's house. As it is not very likely that you ever saw Sir Charles Noble's house, I will give you some account of it. It is a very large house, built of smooth white stone. It stands in a fine park or green lawn, scattered over with tall trees and shrubs, but there were no leaves on the trees at the time that I am speaking of, because it was winter. When the carriage drove up to the hall door, a smart footman came out, opened the carriage door, and showed Mr. and Mrs. Fairchild through a great many rooms into a grand parlor, where Lady Noble was sitting upon a sofa by a large fire with several other ladies, all of whom were handsomely dressed. Now, as I told you before, Lady Noble was a proud woman, so she did not take much notice of Mrs. Fairchild when she came in, although she ordered the servants to set a chair for her. Miss Augusta Noble was seated on the sofa by her mamma playing with a very beautiful wax doll, and her two brothers, William and Edward, were standing by her, but they never came forward to Mrs. Fairchild's children to say that they were glad to see them or to show them any kind of civility. If children knew how disagreeable they make themselves when they are rude and ill-behaved, surely they would never be so, but would strive to be civil and courteous to everyone. Soon after Mrs. Fairchild was seated, a servant came to say that Miss Noble's and Master William's and Master Edward's dinners were ready. "'Go, Augustus,' said Lady Noble, "'to your dinner, and take Master and Mrs. Fairchild with you, and after you have dined, show them your playthings in your baby house.' Miss Augusta got up, and as she passed by Emily and Lucy, she said in a very haughty way, "'Mama says you must come with me.' So Emily and Lucy followed Miss Augusta, and the little boys came after them. 
She went up a pair of grand stairs and along a very long gallery full of pictures till they came to a large room where Miss Augusta's governess was sitting at work and the children's dinner set out in great order. In one corner of the room was the baby house. Besides the baby house, there was a number of other toys, a large rocking horse, a cradle with a big wooden doll lying in it, and tops and carts and coaches and whips and trumpets in abundance. "'Here Mrs. Fairchild's children come to dine with me, ma'am,' said Miss Augusta as she opened the door. "'This is Lucy, and this is Emily, and that is Henry.' The governess did not take much notice of Mrs. Fairchild's children, but said, "'Miss Augusta, I wish you would shut the door after you, for it is very cold.' I do not know whether Miss Augusta heard her governess, but she never offered to go back to shut the door. The governess, whose name was Beaumont, then called to Master Edward, who was just coming in to shut the door after him. "'You may shut it yourself if you want it shut,' answered the rude boy." When Lucy heard this, she immediately ran and shut the door, upon which Miss Beaumont looked more civilly at her than she had done before and thanked her for her attention. Whilst Lucy was shutting the door, Miss Augusta began to stir the fire. "'Miss Augusta,' said the lady, "'has not your mamma often forbidden you to touch the fire? Some day you'll set your frock on fire.' Miss Augusta did not heed what her governess said this time any more than the last, but went on raking the fire, till at length Miss Beaumont, fearing some mischief, forced the poker out of her hands. Miss Augusta looked very much displeased. It was going to make a pert answer when her mother and the other ladies came into the room to see the children dine. The young ones immediately seated themselves quietly at the table to eat their dinner. "'Are my children well behaved?' said Lady Noble, speaking to the governess. "'I thought I heard you finding fault with Augusta when I came in.' "'Oh, no, ma'am,' said the governess. "'Miss Augusta is a good young lady. I seldom have reason to find fault with her.' Lucy and Emily looked at Miss Beaumont and wondered to hear her say that Miss Augusta was good, but they were silent. "'I am happy to say,' said Lady Noble, speaking to Mrs. Fairchild, "'that mine are promising children. Augusta has a good heart.' Just at that moment a servant came in and set a plate of apples on the table. "'Miss Beaumont,' said Lady Noble, "'take care that Augusta does not eat above one apple. You know that she was unwell yesterday from eating too many.' Miss Beaumont assured Lady Noble that she would attend to her wishes, and the ladies left the room. When they were gone, the governess gave two apples to each of the children, excepting Augusta, to whom she only gave one. The rest of the apples she took out of the plate and put in her work bag for her own eating. When everyone had done dinner and the tablecloth was taken away, Lady Noble's children got up and left the table, and Henry and Emily were following, but Lucy whispered to them to say grace. Accordingly, they stood still by the table, and putting their hands together, they said the grace which they had been used to say after dinner at home. "'What are you doing?' said Augusta. "'We are saying grace,' answered Lucy. "'Oh, I forgot,' said Augusta. "'Your mamma is religious and makes you do all these things. "'How tiresome it must be! "'And where's the use of it? "'It will be time enough to be religious, you know, "'when we get old and expect to die.' "'Oh, but,' said little Henry, "'perhaps we may never live to be old. "'Many children die younger than we are.' Whilst Henry was speaking, William and Edward stood listening to him with their mouths wide open, and when he had finished his speech, they broke out into a fit of laughter. "'When our parson dies, you shall be parson, Henry,' said Edward, "'but I'll never go to church when you preach.' "'No, he shan't be parson. He shall be clerk,' said William. "'Then he will have all the graves to dig.' "'I'll tell you what,' said Henry. "'Your mamma was never worse out in her life than when she said hers were good children.' "'Take that for your sauciness, you little beggar,' said Master William, giving Henry a blow on the side of the head, and he would have given him several more had not Lucy and Emily ran in between. "'If you fight in this room, boys, I shall tell my mamma,' said Miss Augusta. "'Come, go downstairs. We don't want you here. Go and feed your dogs.' William and Edward accordingly went off and left the little girls and Henry to play quietly. Lucy and Emily were very much pleased with the baby house and the dolls, and Henry got upon the rocking horse, and so they amused themselves for a while. At length Miss Beaumont, who had been sitting at work, went to fetch a book from an adjoining room. 
As soon as she was out of sight, Miss Augusta, going up softly to the table, took two apples out of her work bag. "'Oh, Miss Augusta, what are you doing?' said Emily. "'She's stealing,' said Henry. "'Stealing?' said Miss Augusta, coming back into the corner of the room where the baby house was. "'What a vulgar boy you are! What words you use!' "'You don't like to be called a thief,' said Henry, "'though you're not ashamed to steal, I see.' "'Do, Miss Augusta, put the apples back,' said Emily. "'Your mamma said you must have but one, you know, today, "'and you, you've had one already.' "'Hush, hush,' said Miss Augusta. There's my, "'Here's my governess coming back. Don't say a word.' "'So saying, she slipped the apples into the bosom of her frock "'and ran out of the room. "'Where are you going, Miss Augusta?' exclaimed Miss Beaumont. "'Mamma has sent for me,' answered Augusta. "'I shall be back immediately.' When Miss Augusta had eaten the apples, she came back quietly and sat down to play with Lucy and Emily as if nothing had happened. Soon after, the governess looked into her work bag and found that two of the apples were gone. Miss Augusta, she said, you have taken two apples. There are two gone. I've not touched them, said Miss Augusta. Some of you have, said Miss Beaumont, looking at the other children. I can't tell who has, said Miss Augusta, but I know it was not me. Lucy and Emily felt very angry, but they did not speak. But Henry would have spoken if his sister Lucy had not put her hand over his mouth. I see, said Miss Beaumont, that some of you have taken the apples, and I desire that you, Miss Emily, and you, Miss Lucy, and you, Master Henry, will come and sit down quietly by me, for I don't know what mischief you may do next. Now the governess did not really suppose that Miss Fairchild's children had taken the apples, but she chose to scold them because she was not afraid of offending their parents, but she was very much afraid of offending Miss Augusta and her mamma. So she made Lucy and Emily and Henry sit quietly down by her side before the fire. It was now getting dark, and a maidservant came in with a candle, and, setting it upon the table, said, "'Miss Augusta, it is time for you to be dressed to go down to tea with the ladies.' "'Well,' said Miss Augusta, "'bring me my clothes, and I'll be dressed by the fireside.' The servant then went into the closet I before spoke of, and soon returned with a beautiful muslin frock, wrought with flowers, a rose-colored sash and shoes, and a pearl necklace. Emily and Lucy had never seen such fine clothes before.' And when they saw Miss Augusta dressed in them, they could not help looking at their own plain frocks and black shoes and feeling quite ashamed of them, though there was no more reason to be ashamed of their clothes at that time than there was of their being proud of them when they first, when they were first put on. When Miss Augusta was dressed, she said to the maidservant, "'Take the candle and light me down to the hall.' Then, turning to Emily and Lucy, she added, "'Will you come with me? I suppose you have not brought any clean frocks to put on?' "'Well, never mind. When we get into the drawing-room, you must keep behind your mamma's chair, and nobody will take any notice of you.' So Miss Augusta walked first with the maidservant, and Henry and Lucy and Emily followed. They went along the great gallery and down the stairs, and through several fine rooms, all lighted up with many lamps and candles, till they came to the door where Sir Charles and Lady Noble and Mr. and Mrs. Fairchild and a great many ladies and gentlemen were sitting in a circle around a fire. Lucy and Emily and Henry went and stood behind their mother's chair, and nobody took any notice of them. But Miss Augusta went in among the company, curtsying to one, giving her hand to another, and nodding and smiling at another. "'What a charming girl Miss Augusta has grown,' said one of the ladies. "'Your daughter, Lady Noble, will be quite a beauty,' said another. "'What an elegant frock Miss Augusta has on,' said a third lady. "'That rose-colored sash makes her sweet complexion more lovely than ever,' said one of the gentlemen, and so they went on flattering her till she grew more conceited and more full of herself than ever, and during all the rest of the evening she took no more notice of Mrs. Fairchild's children than if they had not been in the room. 
After the company had all drank tea, several tables were set out, and the ladies and gentlemen began to make parties for playing at cards. And Mr. As Mr. and Mrs. Fairchild never played at cards, they asked for the coach, and when it was ready, wished Sir Charles and Lady Noble a good night, and came away. Well, said little Henry, Sir Charles Noble's may be a very fine house, and everything may be very fine in it, but I like my own little home and garden, and John, and the meadow, and the apple trees, and the round hill, and the lane, better than all the fine things at Sir Charles. Now all this while Emily and Lucy did not speak a word, and what do you think was the reason? It was this, that the sight of Miss Augusta's fine clothes and playthings, and beautiful rooms in which she lived, with the number of people she had to attend her, had made them both out of humor with their own humble way of living in small house and plain clothes. Their hearts were full of the desire of being great like Miss Augusta and having things like her, but they did not dare to tell their thoughts to their mother. When they got home, Mrs. Fairchild gave a baked apple to each of the children and some warm milk and water to drink, and after they had prayed, she sent them to bed. When Emily and Lucy had got into bed and Betty had taken away the candle, Lucy said, "'Oh, Emily, I wish our papa and mamma were like Sir Charles and Lady Noble. What a beautiful frock that was Miss, that Miss Augusta had on, and I dare say that she has a great many more like it, and that sash I never saw so fine a color, Emily.' And then the ladies and gentlemen said she was so pretty, and even her governess did not dare to find fault with her, Lucy. But Betty finds fault with us, and John, too, and Papa and Mama make us work so hard, and we have such coarse clothes. Even our best frocks are not so good as those Miss Augusta wears every morning. In this manner they went on talking till Mrs. Fairchild came upstairs and into their room. As they had thick curtains round their bed, it being very cold weather, they did not see their mamma come into the room, and so she heard a great deal of what they were talking about without their knowing it. She came up to the side of their bed and sat down on a chair which stood near it, and putting the curtains aside a little, she said, "'My dear little girls, as I came into the room, I heard some part of what you were saying without intending it, and I'm glad I heard it, because I can put you in a way of getting rid of these foolish thoughts and desires which you were speaking of to each other.' "'Do not be ashamed, my dears. I am your own mamma, and love you dearly. "'Do you remember, Lucy, when Emily got that beautiful doll from Lady Noble, "'that you said you felt something in your heart which made you feel very miserable?' "'Lucy. "'Yes, mamma, I remember it very well. You told me it was envy. "'But I do not feel envy now. I do not wish to take Miss Augusta's things from her or to hurt her. "'Emily and I only wish to be like her and to have the same things she does.' "'What you now feel, my dears,' said Mrs. Fairchild, "'is not exactly envy, though it is very like it.' It is what is called ambition. Ambition is the desire to be greater than we are. Ambition makes people unhappy and discontented with what they are and what they have. I do not understand, Mama, said Emily, what ambition makes people do. Well, my dear, said Mrs. Fairchild, suppose that Betty was ambitious. She would be discontented at being a servant and would want to be as high as her mistress. And if I were ambitious, I should strive to be equal to Lady Noble. And Lady Noble would want to be as great as the Duchess, who lives at the, that beautiful house which we passed by when we went to see her grandmama. The Duchess, if she were ambitious, would wish to be like the Queen, Emily. But the Queen could be no higher, so she could not be ambitious. Mrs. Fairchild, my dear, you are much mistaken. When you are old enough to read history, you will find that when kings and queens are ambitious, it does more harm even than when little people are so. When kings are ambitious, they desire to be greater than other kings, and then they fight with them and cause many cruel wars and dreadful miseries. So, my dear children, you see that there is no end to the mischief which ambition does. And whenever this desire to be great comes, it makes us unhappy, and in the end ruins us. Then Mrs. Fairchild showed to her children how much God loves people who are lowly and humble, and she knelt by the bedside and prayed that God would take all desire to be great out of her little girl's heart. End of section 6